Hey everybody, it's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. We've got a great show for you today. We've got the CMO of People AI, Mariana Kogan, uh, on the show. She's an incredible inspiration. She's an incredible marketer. And she truly gets the alignment between sales and, and marketing to drive revenue growth. So, great conversation. Before we get there, let's hear from a word from our sponsors and then my interview with Mariana Kogan. This episode of the Sales Hacker Podcast is brought to you by Outreach. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual process with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why. Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io forward slash 30 MPC. That is click.outreach.io forward slash 30 MPC. This episode of the Sales Hacker Podcast is sponsored by Pavilion. Pavilion is the key to getting more out of your career. Our private membership connects you with a network of thousands of like-minded peers and resources where you can tap into dozens of classes and training through Pavilion University. Make sure you take advantage of the Pavilion for Teams corporate membership and enroll your entire go-to-market team in one of our industry-leading schools and courses, including Marketing School, Sales School, Sales Development School, and Revenue Operations School. Unlock your professional potential and your team's professional potential with a Pavilion membership. Get started today at joinpavilion.com. Once again, that's joinpavilion.com. As a small or medium-sized business owner, you're frustrated about having to personally run operations and grow sales for your company. You're at the stage where you need to make scalable moves. Get to your next level of growth with Overpass, the first-of-its-kind global SDR marketplace. With hiring assistance from real people, you can onboard sales reps from around the world for a fraction of the cost. The solution to your growth is only a few clicks away. Create a free account today at overpass.com. Hey, everybody. It's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. Today on the show, we've got Mariana Kogan. She is the Chief Marketing Officer at People.ai. Most recently, the SVP of Digital Experience and Engagement at PTC, Kogan pioneered the application of People AI's technology to build the revenue engine of the future, leading PTC to win Forrester's Program of the Year for her ROI engine. Prior to PTC, Mexico-born Kogan held various roles of increasing responsibility in the software industry, and she is an advocate for diversity, inclusion, and uplifting minorities in the tech space. She believes deeply that diverse companies are more innovative and outperform less diverse ones. She's earned an MBA from Babson and a bachelor's degree from Joshi University in Tokyo, Japan. Mariana, welcome to the show. Thank you. Very excited to be here today talking to all of your wonderful audience. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you. So we like to start with your baseball card. There are People AI is a fascinating company, uh, and I've known uh, about them for a little while. But in your words, tell us, what does the company do? You know, how, how would you characterize the value proposition? Absolutely. I do think that is, you know, amazing technology. What can I tell you? I actually bought from People AI in 2019. So I'm a former customer. Um, I bought from People AI, Six Sense and Drift on the same day to do their, you know, digital transformation of uh, PTC. And I needed People AI because they really, really help you to optimize um, sales performance. Um, so by connecting all the data, it really allows you to understand engagement and you know, for all your sellers, your audience, uh, helping us to increase uh, win rate to, you know, have more deals, bigger deals, faster deals. And how is it that they do it? It's really by helping to engage with the right people in the right accounts. As you know, at the end of the day, people buy from people. So that engagement, it has to be, you know, very well planned. 
It's got to be, you know, um, in, in a way that, you know, the data is telling you who are the personas that you need to be talking with. You know, are you multi-thread? You know, are you engaged from both marketing and sales perspective? Do you have that magical engagement that would allow you to sell more and sell faster? So that's what People AI does by putting all your data into CRM. So it's in CRM. So for sellers, it's phenomenal because they don't have to be learning, you know, a new, a new tool. And when I roll it out at PTC, as a matter of fact, in what can I tell you, maybe three, four months, we had already built $20 million in pipeline. So wow. it was just magical. It really got us to, you know, to build that pipeline printing machine and really increase that that partnership between marketing and sales because it produces pipeline, it produces engagement, it really produces, you know, what a GTM should be should be doing. I love it. And where where is uh, where is People AI and sort of their growth journey? You know, how big is the company? How should we think about it in terms of its evolution? So by now, um, it was last um, summer we had um, Series D. You know, two hundred million dollars came into um, through Series D. So you know, we're getting to that point that you know, more mature. You know, close to maybe you know, doubling growth. You know, every year. I mean, for everybody, it's been complex. You know, the last few months, but uh, you know, continue growing, continue expanding. So um, you know, it's getting to a very nice place. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. Well, we'd love to, you know, you've got a really fascinating background. Clearly, we mentioned in your bio that you were born in Mexico and you lived in Japan. So how'd you get here? You know, how did you become a CMO and what was your journey? When did you first get into marketing? Walk us through a little bit about your, your career advancement and your development. So I do have a little bit of an unusual background from a, you know, CMO perspective. As you mentioned at the beginning, I was born in Mexico. Then I went to college and lived in Japan. Um, and I actually started my career in investment banking. I'm an economist, so I thought that I wanted to be in, you know, investment banking. Um, there was a lot of money to be made in investment banking, but it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. I think it has a very, it requires a very different personality that maybe my personality. So, uh, you know, I moved from investment banking into um, software, you know, different technology companies. And when I was working in Japan, one of my my customers, he was actually running a software company in, in Boston and um, he needed somebody that could run both Latin America and Japan. And for that, most probably, you know, maybe perhaps the, uh, the only one. So that's kind, you know, how I started to transition into um, technology, a little bit more on the business development side, you know, customer success. And then eventually, a few years later, I actually took a role at MadWorks in marketing operations. I started to do a lot of process improvement. So that was a place where I could put a little bit more of my economics, my little bit more of operational, you know, mindset into marketing into digital marketing and that was the first step and then at PTC you know continue um, growing from you know marketing operations since you know I had the data so I went to do some very interesting projects on you know setting you know closed loop marketing um, really transforming you know the marketing team into a much more predictable data driven engine added some of, you know, digital experience. And then eventually I did, as I mentioned at the beginning, build that pipeline printing machine with People AI. And it became a very natural transition, you know, to move to work with People AI as their CMO. 
any big surprises moving from a big company to a small company now that you're CMO of People AI is obviously big for a startup, but relative to PTC and some of these other businesses, much, much smaller. So what, what's, what's been your lessons learned as you've moved to uh, your first role at a big startup? It's huge. It's a big difference, you know, as you just mentioned it. As with everything, it has, you know, different components. You know, it, it really allows, in, you know, in the startup world, you have a much bigger seat at the table from a strategy perspective. When you work for larger companies, there's a lot of things that are already in motion. So it's a little bit more like a big cruise ship that you're making sure that, you know, you keep the momentum versus, you know, in the startup world, we're actually building a lot of that that momentum. So it's been very exciting sometimes. Yes, I do miss having many, many, many more people in the, uh, in the team. Uh, but the excitement about being able to really participate in driving the strategy, that is just super amazing. If you think about it, you know, I meet with the analyst and, you know, in larger companies, everything's a little bit more, you know, prepare ahead of time and, you know, you present, it's a little bit more of a one-way conversation versus here. I actually can sit down with the analyst and, you know, I have a conversation about, you know, what is it that is going to be, you know, happening in the space. You can be a much more external face CMO. So I meet with customers and prospects, you know, multiple times, you know, during the week. And you also build a much, much closer relationship with your sales team. Because at the end of the day, if you think about it, you're going after potentially, you know, a, a smaller list of accounts compared to, you know, a, a billion plus in revenue companies. So you have to be one and the same with your sales team. And that's extremely exciting for me. What's the best way do you, have you found to align with the sales team? You've mentioned, you know, to me in the past that you, you feel like buying needs to be a team sport. Walk us through what you mean by that. Yes, I am a big believer that, that it, you know, everything is, you know, it is a team sport. It cannot be done by marketing. It cannot be done by sales alone. It cannot be done by customer success alone. Everybody has to come together to the table. And it actually has to start with a customer. Who are you selling to? Why are you selling into that company? Why should that company care about you? Well, it's because they have a problem. And they have a problem that we know how to solve. And we are the best at solving the problem. And we have already solved it for other companies that are similar. All that conversation, all that messaging, all that content has to be in alignment between marketing and sales. The other component that is extremely, you know, extremely important is the fact that marketing has to be accountable for the deliverables that we provide our sales team with. It's not anymore about just, you know, we did a webinar and a lot of people show up. We had 300 registrations. No, the conversation should be, we're doing this webinar with this topic that we know that is interesting to your customers and prospects. These are the companies that we're looking to invite. Then these companies stay this long and therefore they pay attention to these, you know, A, B, C, and C topics. Now, how many, I don't know, uh, how many meetings are going to happen because of the event? You know, how many demos are going to be happening because of the event? When you have that alignment and you start moving away from, from just tactical execution, but really, really helping with, you know, improving the engagement at the account level, where marketing can say, hey, last week we only knew, I don't know, two people in the account. 
Now we actually know four more people. Now we actually have helped you to connect with the champion. Now we are helping you because we're doing a different event or a different campaign that is going to allow you to connect with the C-suite so that you're multi-thread. Those are the things that help you to be, you know, one and the same with your, you know, with your sales team because, you know, as I mentioned, you know, at the very beginning, you know, you are really saying that buying is a team sport. So you're going to have to be connecting with many people in your account. You're going to have to be connecting with champions. You're going to have to see what happens when a champion moves to another company, which is something that we have been experiencing, you know, quite heavily in the last few months. And for that, it has to be such a tight alignment so that all the buying group is connected because marketing is helping sales. Do you think marketing should be graded on, you know, in, in, well, many, many, many years ago, marketing wasn't graded on very much at all. Then there was this big movement to making it about, you know, marketing qualified leads and how many leads you're delivering. That then fell out of favor. And now, you know, I've heard from a lot of different folks that marketing should just be graded on pipeline contribution and revenue generation and effectively the same way that, you know, the, the sales team should be graded. What do you think the right way to sort of balance incentives and performances with a marketing organization, what do you think the main metrics should be, the KPIs? I think it's as you as you just said, it has to be a balance because yes, I do fully agree with the fact that marketing has to be accountable for that, you know, revenue pipeline, whether it's, you know, source or it's, you know, influence. We know that at the end of the day, marketing has to be touching everything. Sometimes it's not as easy to track it. I mean, all these conversations, you know, about what happens when, let's say that we do a phenomenal LinkedIn, you know, campaign, but it might be that the prospects don't quite click on the ad. But then next time around, when they, you meet them at an event or when you place a call, by now they know about, you know, in my case of people AI. So, it's always a little bit hard to, uh, you know, to quantify it. But yes, I do believe that it has to be a very strong component on that, you know, revenue contribution. Sometimes I even talk about the fact that CMOs need to be carrying, a, you know, a quota so that every activity that we do, it really measure on the impact that it has on helping our sellers. Sometimes it's going to be much more on the you know, demand generation side of the house, but it's also at the engagement level. Let's say when you have an ABM strategy and we say, again, out of these uh, 100 accounts, we want to move their intent level so we can have metrics on movement of intent, movement on engagement on weekly, monthly basis. And also there is a very important component on the branding element. But even branding, it's measurable whether you have your, you know, share of voice, you know, there's many ways of making sure that even when you have a campaign that let's say is a branding campaign or is a corporate campaign, you still have to make sure that there's going to be people, I don't know, whether it's it coming to the website or attending an event that eventually connects into those deliverables with the pipeline number, with the quarter numbers. So yes, I do think that marketing has to be continue evolving into a much more, you know, accountable, um, you know, discipline within the GTM space. Makes a lot of sense to me. One of the, one of the things you've said is that, and it's interesting because there's so much right now in the sales and marketing tech space. There is so much 
emphasis on forecasting, on calling the forecast and really understanding what's going to happen. But one of the things that you've said is you can't grow a business by forecasting more, which I, which is both true and self-evident and also really interesting. Walk us through some of your thoughts around that idea. So yes, that, you know, we've been publishing a lot of thought leadership around the lines that it's not forecasting that is going to give you the growth. It's really pipeline that is going to give you the growth. If you think about it, especially for larger enterprises with a large sales cycle, Getting into those three, four, five weeks of the quarter and then trying to, you know, trying to close more deals or accelerate deals, it doesn't really happen that way. You know, you have to be really running a very professional, very efficient, you know, sales process throughout the length of the relationship. Going back to what I mentioned before, are you talking to the right, you know, the right, um, you know, people in the um, in the account? Are you multi-thread? Do you have your next appointment? Are you already talking with I don't know with infosec, with compliance, you name it? All those components need to happen throughout the sales process. It's not just on that Friday call. Hey, Joe, you know, how's it looking with A, B, and C, and D um, opportunities? And then the other component is that it really has to go back to the data. Do you have in place all the different requirements for this deal to be closing? And it cannot just be, you know, um, a personal opinion on whether you think that it's going to close, but it is by really improving your sales process by, again, working closer with marketing, making sure that you have the right balance between, you know, you field events. I mean, are you talking with the people that you should be talking with? All that is what takes you to create more pipeline, more quality pipeline in a way that you can start increasing your win rate, accelerating the velocity of your deals. And it's because you're doing all the different things in the right order in the right quality versus just trying to forecast a number. That makes a lot of sense to me. Do you, um, I want to switch topics a little bit. You know, something that's that's near and dear to you is DEI and making sure that, uh, you know, underrepresented groups get representation within tech. And you've also talked about the importance and difference between sponsorship and mentorship. Walk us through your perspective there and what the key differences are between being a mentor and being a sponsor. My favorite topic, as you can imagine, born in Mexico, um, you know, Latin, female in technology. There's only about 1% of um, us, let alone once you put the, uh, the title. So because of that, I have made it into, you know, what I will call my obligation to make sure that all the minorities have an opportunity to develop their careers. So, uh, so mentorship is a person that is going to help you to learn. You can have a mentor, you know, internally, you have mentors that you have worked with in the past, you have mentors in different, you know, forms and shapes that actually help you to learn, help you to, you know, find solutions to problems, give you ideas about what you should be doing. However, a sponsor is that person that is going to talk about you when you're not in the room. Is a person that is going to say, hey, I really know Sam, and I think that he should be the one that is leading this project. Because if you think about it, especially in the, uh, in, the, in the technology space, it tends to be, you know, 
that is going to be a little bit harder to find somebody who looks like you at the table so that you can have that emotional connection so that the person can get to know you, um, get to know you well. So it is that person that is going to use their own political capital to help you to get the opportunity where you have a chance to showcase your capabilities, your experience, and then eventually, as a next step, get promoted. That's the big difference. And I think it's really important because at the end of the day, more diverse companies are more successful and more successful and innovative companies are more diverse. How do you how do you know when the moment is to lean in and be a sponsor? Or is it is it mentor lots and lots of people and then as you identify people that really have what it takes, become their sponsors? I think maybe some people are worried that if they are too aggressively promotional on someone else's behalf, that maybe their reputation will be impacted if things don't work out the right way. That is a that is that is a really good question. It's gotta be a right balance because at the end of the day, you cannot sponsor somebody just because they are you know, part of a minority group. That's not the way that this, this works. As you say, you have mentors, you get to know them, you see the quality of the work, you get to know them, you see the quality of the work, and it's only then when you're ready to put your political capital, because at the end of the day, as you just mentioned, if it doesn't work, that's going to backfire. So you have to be sure that this person, you know, has a skill set, has a desire, you know, there's many things that have to, uh, that have to happen before being in a position to be um, thinking about a sponsorship. One of the things that I recommend to everybody is that, you know, you should always have within the company, you know, a few mentors so that eventually one of them becomes a sponsor. Meet with them on quarterly basis, 30 minutes. You arrive, five minutes, you chat, 10 minutes, you share what you're doing, you share the results of what I'm doing, you ask for a little bit of advice, you said goodbye. You keep doing that quarter after quarter. Then, as you just mentioned, then the sponsor will feel comfortable because by then they're seeing the quality of the work, you know, the, um, the energy, and they feel more comfortable to do the sponsorship because if it works, then it becomes a multiplying effect for the rest of, you know, the people. I love it. And that's, that's, that framework is, is so useful uh, because it's so practical and tangible. So uh, it's great advice. Mariana, we're, we're just about at the end of our time together. And one of the things we like to do at the end is sort of pay it forward a little bit and hear about people, could be books, could be influences, could be humans that were your sponsor or mentor. But when you think about people that you think we should know about because they've had a big impact on you and, uh, and you think they're important to the world, who comes to mind? What comes to mind? Who, who are books or ideas or people that you think uh, we should be aware of? Tell us a little bit about them. There's been a couple of people who have been, you know, phenomenal, um, you know, sponsors and mentors in the space. Uh, Charlie Ungashik, Peter Vescuso, you know, Barry Cohen. He's already retired, but he was one of my most amazing, um, you know, sponsors when I was at uh, PTC. Books. There's just too many. I have a huge library in my house. Crossing the Chasm, I always recommend it to people. Uh, Building a Storyboard is another great book. Um, big believer in reading, you know, biographies and autobiographies. You know, a podcast that I follow frequently, uh, Free Economics, you know, maybe because I'm an economist by, by training. Your podcast, I love it. Oh, um, thank so there's you very so many. Much. Yes, I play a few. Uh, I play, you know, I've been playing a few of the uh, your episodes, and there's a lot to learn. You have really good guests. 
Oh, well, thank you very much. Well, you're one of the best. So uh, you're, in, you know, they all are, they should be honored to be in your company. Yeah, but there's a lot to be, to be learning, learning from great books and great uh, movies, podcast out there. Awesome. Well, Mariana, if folks want to reach out to you, are you open to that? What's the best way to reach you? If they have questions, maybe they are, uh, you know, another represented group. Maybe it's a Hispanic woman that that's looking for first a mentor and then a sponsor. How should people reach out to you if they're hearing this and listening right now? Absolutely. As I mentioned to you, I do believe that, you know, I've been very lucky um, in the way that my career has uh, evolved. So always happy, always see it as an obligation to help. Uh, connect on LinkedIn. Uh, send me a, a message. Tell me what are you looking for in a comment. That's uh, another way to connect with people. You know, we all try to post, to share ideas. Feel free to comment. Agree, disagree. You know, it's always fun. Sounds great. Uh, thanks so much for being our guest on the show this week. We're going to talk to you on Friday for Kind Folks Finish Fridays. Thank you. My pleasure. Hey, everybody. It's Sam Jacobs. I uh, love that conversation with Mariana. What a what a inspiring person. What an inspiring woman. Uh, so committed to uplifting others. She, she really talked to us about that key difference between sponsorship and mentorship. How do you get somebody to advocate for you? And, you know, it's easy... It's easy to tell this the senior person, hey, you need to be sponsored, but probably pretty challenging if you're if you're somebody, particularly uh, you know an underrepresented person, somebody that maybe you don't have the social community, the the connections, the college relationships that teach you uh, even informally how to ask for help, how to reach out to people, and teach you that it's okay uh, to do those things. And I think that's one of the messages you know that Mariana is sharing with you is you do need to. You do need to take your, your your career, your life in your own hands, and, and you need to make sure that you are looking outward to develop deeper relationships with people beyond simply the, you know, the four walls of your of your company. You can hear that siren in the background. That tells you that I'm in New York City, and they are fighting crime by polluting the air with so much noise that it annoys everybody. Nobody's happy about it. It doesn't really do anything. But I think it makes the people that are that are using the siren, see they just changed it from like the long one to the short one. That's because he just got bored or she just got bored, right? Just sort of like, it's fun to annoy all of the citizens that are paying, you know, uh, significant amounts of tax dollars to just, to just flood the air with horrible, horrible sounds that make it impossible to record a podcast. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. The big point, is make sure that you take your career in, on you, in your own hands and, and have agency. And um, and then, of course, you know, she talked about sales and marketing alignment, revenues, team support. Those are things that if you've listened to the show, you know, I wholeheartedly agree with. So I thought it was a great conversation. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't given us five stars on the iTunes store, please do so. If you haven't rated my book, Kind Folks Finish First on Amazon, we would love for you to do that if you've read it. Speaking engagements available uh, if you buy in bulk. So if you get, you know, 25, 50, 100 books for your company, I can come in person and do a talk on Kind Folks Finish First. Obviously, you will not include my position on sirens and ambulances. I, I obviously agree with the need for people to that are in need to move quickly through traffic. But I just, I'm not sold that they need to pollute the air with so much noise. So that is an area where I'm inconsistent as it relates to kindness. Nevertheless, I thank you for listening. Final word from our sponsors before we go, and we'll talk to you next time.